Thanks for testifying. Let me give this to you, Rick. Thank you, sir. Oh, that's some good stuff, man. That is some good stuff. Have you ever felt that you're just in the sweet spot in life doing exactly what you were designed to do? Have you ever had those moments? You, you probably don't, we probably don't live in those 24-7. But, but there are those moments, hopefully you've had them, I have, where it just felt like I was doing what I was designed to do by God. It just felt right. Have you also also had those moments in life where you just felt completely lost? When, when you're not sure what you're supposed to do or why you're here, just kind of floundering around and hoping something clicks at some point. I, I want to talk this morning about the difference between destiny and call. What's the difference? I, I define it like this. Destiny is God's design for every Christ follower. He's got a plan, he's got a design, he's got a future for every Christ follower. Calling is different. Calling is the individual path that we each take to fulfill destiny. That's the difference. Thank you, sir. And so God's destiny for us, as we've, as we've talked about it, is to serve God's purpose in our generation in the world. Am I on this one now? Chuck, thank you very much. But our call is, is how that's different for each one of us and how it's fleshed out in the real world. And, and, and so what I've done and is, is provide us tools to better understand how we're individually gifted and called. And part of that discovery is through things like the Strengths Finder that I've given you reference to. And all of this is on the app, and links are there. You can follow uh, those links to get to these places. Things like the disc, things like Five Love. It all gives you an understanding of how you've been put together because how you've been put together, together will in part define and, and affirm and confirm how God's called you. Your destiny is, is the same, but that call looks a little different for each one of us. And those tools help us understand how we've been put together. So I really want to encourage you to use those. When you do those, send those results to me. Send them to the church, info at Acts 176, so that I, I want to get together in the next couple of weeks, maybe on March 6th or something around there in the evening, and kind of just flesh out what all this stuff means for us individually. And so I really want to encourage you to do that. Now, to help us understand how to be in a position to fulfill our destiny, I'll get to call in a minute, I want to remind us of these seven characteristics of people who are in a position to fulfill their destiny. Those who have a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus, a vibrant and growing relationship with their family, and a vibrant and growing relationship with other people. It, it's crucial to have those relationships. Those who live with financial freedom and sacrificial giving to God. Those who live free in their lives of bondage to sin, to substances and behaviors. Those who have taken great risks in faith and those who have a zeal for sharing Jesus with other people. When those seven characteristics are in place, you are in a position to really fulfill your destiny. Now remember, that destiny is to serve God's purpose with your life and to expand His kingdom in the world. That's destiny. But what is call? And my guess is most of us want to know what our call in life is because our call is specific to us. To where we are, who we are, 
how we've been put together, the experiences we have in life. And so what I want to do this morning, and I'm going to do my best, so pray for me, is to walk us through the example of a man in his life in both destiny and call. We're going to look at both in the context of one life, and it's a big life. One of the greatest lives and stories in all of the Old Testament, who is called the man of God. And miracles were done at his word. It's an amazing man. His name was Elijah. And so all the, the scripture I'm going to go through is 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18, and 1 Kings 19. There's a whole bunch there. And I'm just going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull out some, some specific verses, and I'm just going to recap some big stories. So follow along with us here. Let's get into Elijah's life. We're going to see destiny and call. And hopefully in this experience, you'll begin to understand not only the difference of destiny and call in your life, but how to navigate the ups and downs of life. Still tracking with God and His plan for you. So, 1 Kings 17.1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite. Nobody knows what a Tishbite is, but you just don't want to be bit by one. <laughs> that's, my, that's my pastor joke. Um, now, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither rain, dew, neither dew nor rain, in the next few years, accept at my word. Now, Elijah jumps out of nowhere. He comes out of nowhere. There's no lead up to his life. He just suddenly appears. And God's call on him calls him out of obscurity. All of a sudden, God says, Elijah, this is what I want from you. And he shows up and he approaches the king. This is the king of Israel, Ahab. And he says, thus saith the Lord, there's going to be a there's going to not be rain or anything until... I say so. Sometimes it seems as though there is no warning from God when He bursts upon your life. He just shows up. And He calls you to something. And we have the tendency to go, whoa, hold on here. I did not see this coming. Either good or bad. The goal in all of these ups and downs of like, what is happening here is to simply, we talked about last week, be Really hoping for a better response than that. I felt like I drove that home last week. Our response to all these ups and downs and just God popping up or dropping us is just to be available. Just to be available. Now we start to get a glimpse of not just Elijah's destiny, but his call. Because God says to him, I want you to pronounce a drought on the land. And so Elijah starts thinking, okay, this is... This is what God designed me to be. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy that hears from God and pronounces it. Now, what's happening here, he says, there will be neither dew nor rain except at my word. He's not pulling out some magic here. He's not just shooting off the cuff. He's not coercing anything. He's just moving in line with what God has already decided. See, way back in Deuteronomy 11, God said this, Be careful or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and He'll, sh he'll do what? Cause drought. He'll close up the heavens. So that it will not rain and the ground will yield no crop. And you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord's given you. So He says, when you walk away from me, there's going to be consequences. So God has already said that. All Elijah is doing is saying, this is what the Bible says, and since God has already said it, I declare, I'm telling you, this is what God says. 
The thing that amazes me about this is Elijah steps on the scene and he looks like this, like this giant of faith, right? Like he's going to pronounce rain and drought. Have any of you ever tried that? If any of you have the power to do that, please do that for our valley. We need rain. He just shows up and he's the man. But look at what the Bible says about him in James chapter 5, talking about this very event. Elijah was a man with a what? A nature just like whose? Another translation says he was a man just like us. There's nothing special about him. Now it would seem to me, if you're going to pronounce drought or command rain, there's something special there, right? <laughs> but according to what the Bible says, same nature, same character, a man just like us. That means there's nothing special about him. So what was unique? God's call and him understanding God's word. God had already declared it. He was just making known what God had already decided. It sounds crazy to me, but here's the thing. This is all about grace. This is grace. Elijah could move towards his destiny through God's call in his life with some incredible incredible action. Not because he was special, he was just like us, which ought to give us hope. But because of grace. The unmerited faith. See, grace is the unmerited favor of God to give us access to his word. Do you understand? Just like us. If God has decreed it, we have access to it. If God's already said it, we have access to it. So there's nothing special going on here except Elijah learning to move in the flow of God's Word. And this is so interesting to me. John 15. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my what? My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and be done for you. Now this is not a magic blanket that we get to just say, God, I want a Rolex and God, I want you to heal this and God, I want you to provide that and God, I want you... That's not what he's saying. He said, if my, if my what remains in you? My words. If what I've already declared in Scripture remains in you, then ask whatever it is I've already declared. It'll be done. Do you see that's what Elijah did? Do you understand that? I... I this isn't over our heads yet, is it? I might get there, but we're not there yet. And so this is, what I'm saying here is this is nothing special that Elijah did. It appears special. But God's word was in him and all he did was declare what God had already decreed. So this is what God said and so this is what's going to happen. It was just like us. See, he wasn't for, and this is what we have to understand. He wasn't forcing God's hand. He was simply confirming God's word. And we have to understand that about ourselves. We don't have the right to force God's hand, but we do have the opportunity to confirm his word. Does that make sense? So at this point in Elijah's life, he is feeling the sweet spot of God's call. He's like, this is why God made me. This is why he designed me. I'm flowing in this. And he feels as though he's fulfilling God's death. Have you ever been in that moment with God? Have you ever been in that moment with Jesus when you just felt like every step was golden? Do you know what I'm saying? And like, this is why God made me. When, 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 when my friend Dave started teaching the junior high kids, 
One of the things that was confirmed in Dave is this is one of the reasons God walked with me, never abandoned me, so I could have this influence on those junior high kids, right? Uh, that's right, though, right? You just felt like this is part of God's call on my life. Now, that's not always there all the time, though. But that's the sweet spot I'm talking about. Now, watch what happens. Verses 2 and, and on now. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward to hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply his food. Let me stop right there. He said, Elijah's in a sweet spot, and God says, now leave where you are. You're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. No, this is good. Why do I have to leave this spot? He said, no, I want you to go hide, and you've just declared drought, and I want you to go wait by a brook. Does anybody see a problem with that? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, God, hold on. What are you calling me to? You call me to scarcity? You call me to abandonment? You call me to hiding? Like, that doesn't feel like a good call. So he did what the Lord told him to do, and he went to the Kerath Ravine, east of the Jordan, stayed there. The ravens brought him bread in the, and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, guess what happened? Well, he pronounced a drought. This kind of on him. The brook dried up because there had been no rain on land. Well, duh. See, see, this is the part where God's call gets confusing. Because not only does God call him from a sweet spot to a place of loneliness and, and where he is completely alone, now God has said, who's taking care of him? God's bringing him bread and, and, and meat from, from, from where? Ravens. You may see a problem with that? I'll tell you the problem with that. In the Old Testament, ravens are declared unclean for God's people. They're not supposed to be around them. And so now God is providing for his needs through a way that God has said you should never, ever be a part of. Does this seem weird? Not only that, he's by a brook. And originally that brook looks good, but pretty soon it starts to turn down to a trickle. And when you're sitting there, tell me if this isn't true. When you're sitting there and you see your resources that you need to survive trickling down to a dwindle to nothing, what are you thinking? God, where are you? Right? Like all I see is my resources going away and disappearing. I had abundance once, but now I have scarcity. Where are you now? Who called him to be in this place? This was God's call. Here's what I know. Sometimes when we get to these places, when it doesn't make sense, when we're in a place we never thought we'd be, and the resources and the substance is just drying up and disappearing, those who are trying to follow God end up thinking, hmm, I wonder what God's call is on my life. Because this doesn't make sense. Right? And we question, God, what do you want from me? What are you doing? Well, this is exactly what Elijah was going through. And things are getting worse. And I know what happens. We, every one of us, if we're trying to follow Jesus, every one of us thinks at some point, if I'm fulfilling my destiny and I'm walking in God's call on my life, why are things getting worse? Listen. Listen. Don't ever question God's call just because things get tough. You understand? God ain't never promised us a rose garden on earth. And so then 
things get worse for Elijah. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm just going to recap it for you. If you were to go in your Bibles to verses 18 th- or 8 through 14 in 1 Kings 17, you'll find this, that Elijah walks up and he's told to go to this woman who was not part of God's people. And he walks up on this woman who is starving to death. She and her son starving to death because of this famine and this drought that's caused this famine. And he has this interaction with this woman whose son is starving. See, initially, Elijah was in a tough spot, but now he's in a real bad spot. Because now he's standing there with this woman who has a child, and they're starving to death. they got nothing left. How could this be God's call on her life How could this be God's call and destiny for her son? How could this be God's call for Elijah? Does this make any sense whatsoever why God would let things get so bad? What, what, What would you say to this woman about God's call in her life right now? You wouldn't say nothing, would you? Hang in there. Best of luck to you. What would you say to this little boy? It it would appear as though God's call wasn't working out too well. And every one of us would say, if God called me, why this place? If God's called me, why are things so bad? See, all this woman had was a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And she tells Elijah, she says, look, Elijah, I would love to give you something, but I got nothing. We're about to starve. I'm going to go make the last little piece of bread with the little flour and the little oil I have, and then we're going to die. Can you imagine being, I mean, that's what your your forecast is for your life. And Elijah tells her this. He says, "Um, first take the jar of oil and take the flour and make me some bread first. That's pretty presumptuous. He says, but here's what's going to happen. You do that, and the flour and the oil will never run out until the drought's over. See, Elijah first had to deal with her fear because fear is paralyzing. And in verse 13 of 1 Kings 17, he tells her, don't be afraid. Move against the natural. Move in what is contrary to what you see. The amazing thing to me that this woman who was ready to, she's not even part of God's people. She's an outsider. The amazing thing to me is she went away and what? Did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Amazing. Amazing. She believed him. And she moved against the natural. Because our natural inclination would be to what? I'm not giving you nothing. I got, I'm ready to die. Our natural inclination would be to look. Look at my scarcity. I don't care what you say. What I know is this. And this is the reality. See, here's here's what I know. Faith gives in the face of scarcity. 
It moves in the face of scarcity. And this was what she did. What I know about following God's destiny and God's call on each of our lives is fear is the enemy of us following God. And fear is always the enemy of destiny. And the antidote to fear, 1 John 4 tells us, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. God, I must be doing something wrong. You must be punishing me if things are this bad. You ever felt that way? I must be doing something wrong. I must not be in the middle of your call. I must not be fulfilling my... If things get this bad, it's got to be my fault. And we all of a sudden push grace out of the way and bring in law because if I just behaved well enough, things would go good. That's law. Rather than affirming grace, God, you are gracious, you are sovereign, you know exactly where I am, and I can be in the middle of your call and be in need. And when we trust that type of love of God, it chases away fear because I know He loves me. The thing that amazes me about the Bible, and this is what we got to understand, in the Bible, it's only when God's people move against the natural that the supernatural appears every time. When His people are crossing the Jordan, God said, step into the river. It's at flood stage. Well, I'm not going to step in there until the those gone. No, no, no. Step in, move against the natural, the supernatural happen. It will stop. And every time. Every great act of God took place because people moved against the natural first and then the supernatural showed up. Jesus said, you got 12 baskets or you got, you got five loaves and two fish, that's fine. Pass it out. Move against the natural. All of a sudden, they got 12 basketfuls left. Same thing with tithing. Move against the natural. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. We'll live in the context of biblical finances that involves tithing. The supernatural will come. But you got to move first. Does this make sense? You understand? So she agrees, and in that agreement, resources abound. And imagine how Elijah's feeling at this point. Man, I am rolling in it. Man, I pronounce drought. I pronounce water. I pronounce, you know the jar and the flower. I mean, if, if this were us, we'd be feeling pretty like we're tight with God, right? Like I'm flowing in His call and His destiny. This is easy. But then, in the, see the same guy's life. If you go through verses 17 through 24 of, the, of this same chapter, 1 Kings 17, this woman's son eventually gets sick and dies. You're thinking, what? You just saved him. And now he gets sick and dies? You know what this woman does? I don't know how she does it. She somehow musters the faith to continue to believe the miraculous. I'd have given up by now. I mean, two strikes, you're out. God didn't even get three strikes anymore. Like two strikes, you're out. And she moves again against the natural and she goes and and. and and says, Elijah, why did you bring this calamity? We should have just died back then. Why did you save us only to let us die now? This is why you've come? Can you imagine the crisis of faith that Elijah's going through right now? Well, God, I thought I was in the middle of your call. I, I thought, like, everything was fine. And you did some great stuff back then. But now this, could you imagine the crisis of faith that he's going through? And again... Miraculously, 
Elijah resurrects this boy, brings him back to life. And you see the up and down nature of this thing? You know, the interesting thing to me, just as a side note, the first resurrection in the Bible was the resurrection of the son. Right here. Shadowing the resurrection of the son. And, and at this point, you've got to think Elijah's, man. I love talking about God's destiny. I love talking about God's call. Man, i got stories to tell you. Right? The, 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 thing, the thing that I keep coming back to in Elijah is, is he's, he's, he, at this point, he's still walking in the confirmation of God's word. It's not that he's special. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples this. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. And, conf- and this is what Jesus said exactly he would do. The Lord confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. God didn't confirm the preacher of the word. God confirmed his word. Because when we walk in context and concert with his word, God performs his word. He's not obligated to the preacher. He's obligated to his word. So it wasn't obligated to Elijah. He was obligated to the word of God that Elijah knew. Do you understand? So one of the things, if we're going to live out God's call on our life, we have to know his Just some crazy stuff. And then it jumps, the this, this story of Elijah in his life, it jumps to chapter 18. And chapter 18 starts, after a long time, what does that, what does that indicate? After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What does that indicate? After a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What's that indicate? For a long time, he didn't hear nothing. Do you understand? That's the implication. And the Lord told Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, the king, and I'll send rain on the land. So God called him again after a long time. It seems as though there was a long time when nothing special was going on. Have you ever had those times when you're just living life and ain't nothing special and it's all humdrum and it's completely normal and you question, God, are you still like, I haven't felt you, I haven't seen you, I haven't heard from you. Has that ever been your experience? Does that mean God's call is off your life? Does that mean his plan is away from you? No, not at all. And so God's call comes again. And in verses 16 through 30, and I'm not going to read them all, but it is the, if you've been in church any length of time, been around the Bible any time, it is the, the, the classic story of Elijah on, the, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Now these were... These were, these were this a false god Baal that the people were starting to worship. And there were 400 of them. And, and, and God says, you take them up there on that, on that mountain. And you prove once and for all who God is. And so Elijah gets all these prophets together. King Ahab was following all these prophets. That's why there was the drought on the land. And, and he says, I'll tell you what, you Baal guys, here's the deal. You build an altar, put a bull on it, and you call down fire from your God. And I'll do the same thing. And whatever God calls down fire and consumes, that's the one who's the real God. And so Elijah, being a gentleman, says, y'all go first. And so they start out, and they build this big altar, and they start yelling and screaming and hooping and hollering, a lot of commotion. 
and nothing happens. And they start dancing around all crazy and nothing happens. And Elijah starts taunting them. Baby Bell's tired. Maybe he had to run down. Maybe the internet's down. He can't get your messages right now. He's really engrossed in Breaking Bad and he just can't. And maybe he has got a little stomach bug. He's on the potty. I mean, he it truly, I mean, he's taunting them. And so they get really where they start cutting themselves and bleeding all over. And from, from start to finish the whole day, they're exhausted. Nothing happens. And, and, and now I was like, y'all done? I take over? So he builds his altar, has a big trench dug around it. They go down to the ocean, get 12 buckets of water, pour it all over the altar, fill up the whole thing with water. And Elijah says, all right, God, you're on. And God, boom, pulls down water or, or fire. And consumes the altar, the rocks, the water, everything. And it is one of the most iconic moments in, in Jewish history. For the Hebrews, this was amazing. And I just let everyone know, God is God. And you got to know that at this point, what would you be thinking if you were Elijah? Be careful how you talk to me. Right? I mean, you're just feeling it. And then, chapter 19. Now Ahab the king told Jezebel she was the queen. Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. He ended up, I didn't share that part because it's kind of gross, but he, he killed all those prophets. I mean, they just slaughtered them. It'd be a great movie. Like if anybody ever made a movie that was realistic Bible, it'd make Sons of Anarchy look tame. I mean, this was some crazy stuff. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Elijah was what? Are you kidding me? He's afraid and he ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the broom bush and fell asleep because he just wanted to die. What the heck is going on? He says, I've been in some low places before, but you've always come through. This time, no. I've got to be out of step with God. Where is your call on my life now? God, Elijah questions God's call on his life so severely that he just wants to die. He is in complete despair. Have you ever felt so disconnected from God that you're like, God, if this is all there is in life, I'd rather check out. If this is all you have for me, I'd just rather be done. Call? What is that? Can you imagine after everything Elijah's seen, him being this low? Can you imagine that? Would you ever go through those extremes? Careful. He just wants to die. This is amazing to me. Let me just make a note here. Okay? In Job, 
The Bible tells us a person's days are determined. You, God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Before we were born, God says this is the span of each person's life. And the Bible is very clear. We don't get to manipulate the start date nor the end date. As much as we try, as much as we wish we could. And that's why the Bible says, pray that God gives you wisdom to number your days. And we have to take a step back oftentimes and let God be God. Because He's already determined slash agreed with how many days we get. Do you understand that? That's a hard truth to accept. But it is the truth. Now, we aren't to be negligent and tempt His days. But we aren't either to try to manipulate His days either. Now, having said that, let me say this. God, His prerogative, can shorten or lengthen whatever days He wants to give us. He's God. Example, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You won't recover. That's not good news. Right? Watch what happens. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what's good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Never asked God for nothing. He just said, God, I want you to remember what I've done. And so then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Wow, thank you. It makes everything better. Here's what I know. At the end of the day, God is God. And God is sovereign. Hezekiah, according to Scripture, never asked that his days be lengthened. It was just simply by the grace of God. Do you understand that? God has set the number for each of us, and he set it for Elijah. Why is Elijah trying to check out? While we're here, listen for his call fulfill destiny, and then when you're done with that, get to heaven. But as long as you're here, He has a call on your life, and He has a destiny for you to walk into and fulfill, just like He did for Elijah. And He's trying to tell Elijah, look, I'm in control of this, Elijah, not you. And so God tells Elijah, at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, look around. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Here's what's significant about that. That word bread and that word jar is the exact same Hebrew word way back in chapter 17 when the woman said, I have a little jar and I'm going to make a little bread. The exact same. Why? Because God is telling Elijah, would you just please remember what I'm capable of? I've done it back then. I can do it now. Relax. I still have a call on your life. Even though things look so bad right now, I have a definite call on your life. Relax. I'm in control. Don't try to check out of this. Don't try to manipulate it. And Elijah says, I've been so zealous for you, Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. I put, put prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. He falls into this deep pit of self-pity because he doesn't feel as though God has a plan for his life anymore. 
When we lose sight of destiny, it leads us to self-pity. Please understand that. And self-pity is one of the greatest of all sins. Why? Because it calls into question everything that God has said about Himself. God says, I'll work all things together for good. Self-pity calls that into question. Really, God? God says, I'm love, and I love you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. And self-pity says, well, you can't love me that much because it wouldn't be this bad if you did. I know none of us have ever been in a pit of self-pity. When we are, it will rob us of the opportunity to fulfill our destiny and to walk in the context of God's call. Be careful. God called him to where he is. Do you understand that? Do you see that in this? He's in a bad spot. Guess who called him there? God did. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king of, over Aram, anoint Jehu king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to the Jewish prophet. Through all of these ups and downs, God still had a call on Elijah's life. And his call was meant to fulfill his destiny. And now he begins to see and understand. Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Elijah was plowing the field with 12 oxen a yoke, 12 yoke of oxen. While he was in the 12th pair, he was, in the, he was behind. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. And he burned the plowing equipment and to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people and they ate it. And he set out to follow Elijah and became a servant. Through all of this stuff, the ups and the downs, the questions and the pronouns, all of this stuff, God still has a call and still has a destiny. And for Elijah, part of it was leading to Elisha and begin to see that my life is bigger than me and my life has to be poured into somebody else and something else who will outlive me. And so Elisha follows him. And Elisha was a wealthy man. To have one pair of oxen was rich. Now he had 12. He, had a bunch. he didn't need this job, but he was available. He was also humble because he could have been in the front of the 12 pairs where there is no dust. He's in the back eating everybody's dust. He was humble. He was available. He was willing to leave everything. And he was committed. He, he burned it. There was no going back. He's committed to this. And Elisha then became the servant of Elijah for six years. All he did was serve Elijah. Six years. Can you imagine what Elisha's thinking now? You talk about an up and down of Elijah. Now you look at Elisha. Six years. He was a wealthy man. He didn't need this gig. But he burned all his resources. There was no going. He was committed. And what did God call him to? Serving this guy? Like that's all I'm doing? I'm like getting your tea and making sure your camel's ready to go when it's time to walk. I don't know. Just like I'm serving you for six years. Can you imagine what those six years are like? Hey, have you ever been in that moment where you're like, God, seriously, this is what you call me? I want some action. I want you to do something. Like, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of being in the shadows. I'm tired of watching everybody else get everything else. When is it me? You ever been there? I want you to note something. Destiny. Remember what that is, serving God's purpose with your life and expanding God's kingdom in the world. Destiny for Elijah and Elisha, destiny never changes. It's constant. 
But the call, and this is where I want to get to, our call might lead us to mountaintops or might take us to some very dark valleys. Do you understand? It's still God's call. What happens when you question God's call every time it gets hard? God's call on your life is going to look very different than my life. God's call is as varied as the individual He creates. But every call has the same destiny. Call, your call will, understand, your call will take the shape of who you are, how you've been knit together, the, your life experiences, because they're so varied and different, and the resources He's given you, but your destiny remains the same. This is why nobody can discover your call. It's between you and God. But your destiny is easy to explain. In the midst of this, you flow with purpose through the very oh, the very textures of your call. He will call you to the mountaintops and He will call you to very dark valleys. Both are His call. Through Elijah's life and Elisha the same, the destiny never changed, but the call was always varied. Sometimes Elijah's call was to the prophetic. Sometimes he was called to the miracle worker. Sometimes his call was to lonely places. Sometimes it was to crowds. Sometimes it was to leading people. Sometimes it was being alone with God. Sometimes he was the lead man. Sometimes he was in the shadows. But God's call was through it all leading to destiny. So my question for you is this. Does God have you on the mountaintop? For now, that's his call. Fulfill your destiny. Does God have you in a valley? For now, that's his call. Fulfill your destiny. Do you understand? The question to ask is, how in this moment am I serving God's purpose with my life and am I expanding God's kingdom in the world? That's your destiny. The moments that you're in are your call. Don't confuse those. See, often the moments of our life are God's call on our life. And oftentimes, if the moments are difficult, we look to get out of those moments to a better call. And God says, I've called you to a brook that's drying up. I've called you a place of starvation. I've called you a place of scarcity. Live in that moment fulfilling your destiny. Do you understand? Why the up and down of God's call? Why the back and forth of His call? So that we'll, get this, so that we'll rely on His Word, not on foreknowledge. Most of us want to live with foreknowledge. God, if you let me know ahead of time, I'll trust you. And God says, no, no, no. I do it like this, so you rely on my word. Because, see, here's the We start at the beginning and want to know the end. God starts at the end with the beginning already in view. The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. All we know is the start. We want to know the end. God's already there. You're not worried about the beginning. The Bible says, the word, come up here, the word is a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means God's word is the step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step illumination during the ups and downs of every call. And if we don't know this well enough, we won't know God's heart well enough. And if we don't know God's heart well enough, we won't have the illumination 
through the ups and downs of every step of His call on the mountains and in the valleys. So here's the thing. Step by step. Throughout your life. Through the calls of each moment. Live with your destiny in mind. Do you understand? This is the way, and this is the, dare I say, the only way to at the end of life to face God and hear the sweet words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with my call on the mountains and in the valleys. Come and enjoy. Come and enjoy now. This is how we get to our destiny. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Every step in this moment, I'll live with destiny in mind. Because apparently this moment is your call on my life. And I won't run away. And I won't try to check out of it. And I'll embrace it. Because I want to hear from you. Well done. Good and faithful. I got a lot for you to enjoy now. Don't miss out on that. Because of living shadow lives of falsetto existence. Chasing shadows of that which should not be caught. You have a call on your life. And where you are right now apparently is God's call for you. If you try to wiggle out of it, you'll miss your destiny. Follow Him in the midst of this moment. It is His call for you. Do you understand that? There's something great that we're living for. Don't miss it. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank You.